Hello friends and welcome to the Hillside Church Podcast. My name is Brad and I serve Hillside Church as the lead pastor. We're so glad to be able to share God's word with you in this way. God has so much in store for you and for your life and one of the ways that God works in our lives is through the study of his word, like the message you're about to hear. Our prayer for you is that as you share in this message, whether it's me preaching or if it's someone else, is that God's word would minister to your heart and life in a most powerful way. Thanks again for being part of our church family. God bless you. This week, um, we are going to be continuing our series, Jesus in 3D. Um, We're looking at some of the stories and some of the moments in the life of Jesus and, and doing our best to bring some color, to bring some context to these stories, to help them come alive a little bit for us. And, and, seeing, and then seeing what these stories have to say to us about our lives and how the life of Jesus affects and shapes the way that we live our lives today. And this week we're going to be, be looking at a very famous story from the life of Jesus. You may be able to, to figure out what it was. We didn't pick that video just at random. Um, that the, There's a, a tie-in to, to what we're going to be talking about this morning. And so you can turn in your Bibles, if you'd like to follow along in your Bibles, you can turn to, uh, to, to Mark chapter 4. Um, and that's where we're going to, to begin our time together today. But while you're turning there, I just want to share a different verse with you. I, I want to share a, a passage, a verse with you this morning that, that will help shape what we're going to talk about and, and the concept we're going to explore today. We're going to put that in context. And so, so, the, ver- context, the, so the verse that I want to look at just with us briefly this morning is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. And it says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for, and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is confidence in what we hope for. Faith is confidence. Confidence. Our word and our concept that we're going to explore today, the the idea that we're going to talk about this morning, into this afternoon probably a little bit, is we're going to talk about confidence. And what we can learn and understand about living with confidence and what godly confidence looks like in our lives. It's a weird word and it's a weird thought. Because confidence and, and living with confidence, it's, it almost at times can feel antithetical to, to our Christian walk. It, it can feel like something we're not supposed to have. That, that we're supposed to rid ourselves of our confidence. We're supposed to rid ourselves of, of this, this evil thing called confidence that, that we can have in our lives. But, but what we're going to look at today is we're going to look at the confidence that Jesus had, and what the confidence that Jesus lived with means for how or what it looks like for us to live with that same confidence. And so our story begins on the Sea of Galilee. Mark chapter 4, verse 1 tells us that, that Jesus began to teach by the lake. 
And so what, what takes place throughout the, the, the story of, of Mark chapter 4 is Jesus is teaching on the side, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. He's speaking to a crowd of people, probably hundreds, maybe thousands of people gathered together on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And he just begins to tell them parables and tell them stories and, and unpack the meaning of them. But, but as the chapter goes on, so does the day. And the day gets longer and longer and longer. And, and the day is getting very long. And at the end of the, of the chapter, the day is, it tells us that the day is drawing to a close. And it's time to, to wrap this all up. But Jesus, instead of saying to his disciples, we need to go find a place to, to bunk, bunker down for the night, send the, send the crowd away. He says to the disciples, let's do something different. Something you wouldn't do at the end of the day. It's a weird choice to do this at the end of the day. But in, in verse 35, if we jump down to the end, it tells us that when evening came, so we're at the very end of the day, it's getting dark, the sun is setting. He said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the, the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat, and there were also other boats with them. So Jesus, at the very end of the day, long day, out in the sun, teaching people, if you've, I mean, you don't need to have been to, I was going to say if you've been to the Middle East, but you, you don't need to have been there to know, it's hot. It's a long day. It's, it's they're sitting out, and, and Scripture will tell us that Jesus is actually sitting in a boat in the lake, and so, so there's the, the UV light is reflecting, you know, if you've ever been in a pool outside on a sunny day, and all of a sudden, like, you're, you're not, like, you're, you're cooking, you're, you're burning your skin because the light is reflecting, and it's been this crazy long day, and, and at the end of the day, Jesus makes this, this really strange request. Let, let's sail to the other side. That's a, that's a start of the day thing. That's not an end of the day thing. That's what you do at the beginning of the day. You set out into the water. You don't do that when the sun is going down. But so Jesus says to his disciples, let's go to the other side. And, and Jesus and his disciples, they, they get into a couple boats and they caravan, caravan across the lake. See, fishing boats were not big boats. The boats that they used to do their fishing, they were not big boats. And at a minimum, there's 13 people looking to cross the lake. That many people doesn't fit into a fishing boat. And so the verse says that Jesus got into a boat, but it actually says there was a couple boats with them. Not that it's crucial to our understanding of the story, but if I told you to picture this in your mind, we would all probably picture one boat. Jesus and his disciples got into a boat. The video we watched, Jesus and his disciples get into a boat. Now, in the video we watched, Jesus only had like four disciples with him because they couldn't draw them all into the boat. But, but the reality was just for our own point of reference as we think about this story, it tells us that there was multiple boats that sailed across the lake. Sailed across the Sea of Galilee, which, which actually isn't a sea. Um, it's a lake. It's a biggish lake. Mind you, it's, it's the largest freshwater lake in Israel. It's about 20 kilometers north to south and about 11 kilometers east to west. But that means on a clear day when, it, when it's sunny and it's nice, you can actually see all the way across the lake in any direction. That, that if you stand on one side of the lake, wherever you are, even the, the, the longest distance that the lake is on a clear day, you can see from one end of the lake to the other. So it's not this picture that sometimes we have of them sailing off and, you know, the, the horizon is just the water. But they can, if it weren't night, they could see the other side 
of the lake. But what's really important to understand about the geography of the Sea of Galilee for our story today is that almost the entirety of the Sea of Galilee is bordered by what they would call mountains. Now, living where we live, we have a totally different understanding and appreciation for the word mountain. When, when they talk about mountain, we can picture the Rocky Mountains. That, that's not what they mean when they say mountain. But, but they, the, 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 the Sea of Galilee, it's almost entirely, completely bordered all the way around by what we would see as very large, or as large hills. And so what would happen, though, is because of this, this dramatic elevation change that exists almost all the way around the lake, is that when the wind would blow in, especially from the east, you would have this cool air blowing in that would drop down the, the, these, steep, these steep cliffs, the, these mountains, these hills, down to, to the warm water of the lake. So you'd have this cold air blowing in from the east that would then intermingle with the warm air at, on the water of, of the, the, the lake. And, and as they would interact, uh, the cold drops and the warm air for what rises from the water it would create these sudden and violent storms with, with waves that would reach sometimes as high as 10 feet tall. And this is what happens to the disciples. They're sailing off. It's getting dark, so they can't see what's happening. They can't see the, 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 the conditions changing. There's not a lot of streetlights in, in AD 30. You know, there's not a lot of unnatural light. So, so when there's no natural light, there's no light. And so they can't see what's happening. And as they're sailing across the lake, this cold air blows in. And suddenly, there's this violent storm. Verse 37 tells us, A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. And so the Bible says this, this storm comes up, this storm shows up, and the Bible says it's a furious squall. And remember, these are men are not in big boats. These aren't big, comfortable boats with multiple decks and, and kind of all of this ability. They would, um, they would be in what would amount to us like a big canoe. Um, that, that if you want to picture what a, what a fishing boat in first century Israel would have looked like, it would have looked very similar to, to a canoe, just, just a little bit bigger. Probably could seat about six people comfortably. If it was really fancy, if you were really successful as a fisherman, it might have like a tarped roof on the top. But probably it's like a big canoe with a small sail in the middle, but primarily powered by oars. Um, because they didn't want to count on the wind as much, so they didn't have big sails to sail across the lake. But so, so they're in these boats, and this storm hits. And two things happen inside this boat. There's two things that take place. First, we see the disciples, and we see that they are panicking. They're worried. You see, some, not all of the disciples, sometimes people will talk about the disciples, and they'll say, you know, the disciples were fishermen. Not all of them were fishermen. But some of them were fishermen by trade. And so you would think that they would be more calm. They, they've seen this before. They, they've, they've been through this before. But sometimes it's not experience that makes us calm. Sometimes it's the experience that actually freaks us out. Because I've been through this before. I, I know what these storms are like. I know what can happen here. It's not, oh, this is no problem. It's, I've been through this before. And trust me, it was a problem. It was bad. 
bad. This wasn't good. This wasn't safe. Uh, like we made it through by the skin of my teeth. I don't know if I've got another one of these in me. They know how dire it is to be in a boat like this in a storm like this. The reality is they've probably lost friends who were in boats like this to storms like this in the past. They know that it's time to freak out. You can see them grabbing a bucket or, or whatever they can find, maybe just their hands, and they're trying desperately, futilely, to try and get some of this water out of the boat before they sink. They can see the waves crashing in, and if there's one thing I know about boats, I am not a boat person. I would say a boatman, but I don't know if that's a thing. I don't know boats. One thing I know about boats, the water goes on the outside. And if the water starts coming into the inside, we got a problem on our hands. And so they, they know as much about boats as I do. And they know there's water getting in the boat. we got to do something about this. And so they are doing their best to bail and get the water out as much, <coughs> excuse me, as much as they can. They knew the danger they were in. They knew the damage being done to the boat, to their lives, to, to everything that can happen in the next little bit if things just keep going the way they are. And this is a place where I'm sure we can all see ourselves at different points in our lives. Because, <clears throat> excuse me, this is just what we do in the midst of our storms in life. When the unexpected happens, when life comes crashing down on us, what do we often do? We panic. We become afraid. Or, or maybe our response takes a little bit of a different shape, but it comes from the same place. Maybe when, when the world comes crashing down and things don't go the way you want them to, maybe you get angry. Maybe we start to blame the people around us, that something's not going right and it's your fault. Jesus is the one who told them to do this. Remember, this wasn't the disciples saying, hey, Jesus, let's go. This was Jesus' idea. This is his, if Jesus wouldn't have said that, we wouldn't be here right now. Maybe we retreat into ourselves. That, that we just, we, we, we isolate, we retreat, we, we just draw ourselves in and, and we don't communicate, we don't talk, we, we, we become just an island unto ourselves. Maybe we lash out physically. And, and we, we do actions we shouldn't do. Or maybe we lash out emotionally and we, do, and we, we say things and we act in ways that, that we shouldn't. Maybe in order for us to try and make some sense of what going, what's going on, we, we look for something to blame. Someone, anyone, no one. There has to be something out there that's causing this to happen outside of myself. And I'm just a, a victim along for this, this story. And our reaction gets out of hand because our situation is out of hand. Our reaction is, is big and it, we lose control because we're in a situation where, where we've lost control. Because really our response is us trying to find and regain the control in our lives because we've lost that control. And so how, how do I get back into control? I get mad. How do I get back into control? I need to retreat. How do I get back into control? I need to find someone to blame. And when we lose control, when the disciples lost control of their situation, they panicked. 
and they tried to find a way to get back into control. But no matter the shape it takes, when we get thrown into chaos, so often we can respond in a way that looks something like what the disciples are trying to do here. Bailing water from a sinking ship. The, the, the disciples are, they, they don't know what to do. This is terrible. And the only thing they can think, we need to get the water from inside the boat, outside the boat. Our fear, our panic, our worry, our response, looking to gain control. What, what they show us is that our first response to the uncontrollable, our first response to us losing control it exposes our lack of faith. Our faith falls down to our circumstances. And, and we freak out because this isn't what I thought it was, and I need it to get back to what I thought it was supposed to be. It's saying to God, or rather in our responses, showing us that it's not us saying anything to God, because it's us saying, I don't know how to get them there, and I need to figure out how to get back to where I want to be. Th these moments can show us how so often we don't actually go to God first. That we, we all can say that. We, what, what do we do in a time of trouble? We go to the Lord first. Okay, but what happens when somebody hits your car on the way home? What, what happens when, when you take your COVID test and it shows up positive? What, what happens when, when things start to fall out of control in your life? What do you do? do? Do we go to God first? Or do we respond in ourselves? And, and so we can say, I go to God first. But what do we do? See, the disciples had God in their boat. And they haven't gone to Jesus yet. These moments show us perhaps a little too clearly that, that I don't always go to God right away, but, but my first response is to try and react from my lack of control and try and regain control. And then if I can get there, if I can figure out how to get all of this settled, get me back where I want to be, get me back where I need to be, then I can go to God and say, hey man, what was that all about? Good thing I was here. You almost lost us there for a minute. I can say to God, don't, don't you care that that just happened? I didn't, didn't see you contributing anything. Angry, frustrated, scared. But there's a second reaction to this storm that happens in these boats. There's the way everybody responds. And then there's the way Jesus responds. And the way Jesus responds, actually, in all honesty, I am 100% sure made everything worse for the disciples. Jesus isn't a comfort. He isn't a hope. He isn't even a help. Jesus is sleeping. Verse 38, Jesus was in, in the stern, that means the back of the boat, Sleeping on a cushion. Can you imagine this? Could you imagine what the disciples must have been thinking and feeling in this moment? 
how unbelievably angry they must be as they're literally fighting for their lives. These are men who know how this story ends. They know what is happening. They know they're in the middle of this lake. They can't get to that side. They can't get to that side. And their boat is sinking. And they are doing everything they know how to do to just simply not die. And somehow, Jesus, who is right in the middle of all of this with them. See, see Jesus wasn't immune to this. It wasn't that somehow that, that you know, we, we read in other places where, where there's disciples are caught in a storm and Jesus is walking on the water. And he seems to be immune to everything else that's going on around him. Jesus is not immune. The boat he is in, it's sinking too. It's not that somehow the scripture says that and miraculously the back end of the boat just started to float. To keep Jesus out of the water. Jesus is in the boat and the boat is sinking. But all around him, men are screaming. They're, they're screaming at each other. They're screaming at the rain. They're just screaming because they don't know what else to do. They're trying to bail water out of the boat. It's pouring rain on Jesus. Waves are crashing on Jesus. The boat is sinking and there is their leader... Sleeping in the back of the boat. Isn't this most of our greatest fear in life in our walk with Jesus? Isn't this, for so many of us, the greatest fear we have when it comes to our relationship with Jesus? In a moment when they needed him, when they really, 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 really needed Jesus, he was not there for them. He was sawing logs in the back. The disciples have had enough. In verse 38, it says, The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we drowned? Or don't you care if we drowned? They're, they're past, hey Jesus, could you get up and, and give us a hand here? Hey Jesus, sorry to wake you. Hey, hey Jesus, I, I know you're getting some rest. I know it's been a long day. You were out teaching and I know that must be exhausting. But hey, uh, we're dying here. Could you help Wake him up. Don't you care? Look around at what's going on. Don't you see everything? Don't you care? The disciples, they're, they're angry at Jesus. He, he's absent. He doesn't care. They're, they're, our, their lives are ending, and he can't even be bothered to, to you know, wake up. Don't you care? Do you even care about us? It's unforgivable. In our lives, and I'm sure you've experienced this too, where, where you're doing something and there's nothing more that you could use than a hand with what you're doing. And, and maybe you're married and, and you know your spouse could come and help you. And they're not. 
And it starts to eat away at you, and you become more frustrated and more frustrated. Like, why, why are they not recognizing I'm Charlotte? Why are they not? And, and here the disciples are with Jesus. They're doing everything they can to save themselves and to save Jesus. And Jesus doesn't care. And this is a place where we can find ourselves when we deal with our storms. When we can see what's happening. When we can see what needs to happen. When we can see what God needs to do. And yet, for some reason, where is Jesus? Where is God? Is he sleeping? You know, this, this was the same mocking thing that Elijah said on Mount Carmel when he was talking to the priests of false gods, and he says, oh, I don't know. Maybe your God's taking a nap. Maybe that's not why he's answering your prayers. But here is Jesus actually taking a nap while the people around him are dying, are about to die. And maybe for us, maybe for you, it hasn't been a moment of life or death or maybe a literal moment of life or death, or, or maybe for some of us it has been. But we can look around at moments in our lives, especially when we're in them, and we talked about this earlier in the service, and, and see no evidence of Jesus' care. We look around, and the best answer that we could come up with is, as to why things are the way they are is, I don't know, maybe Jesus is sleeping. Do you not care about me, Jesus? God, can, can't you see me? Don't you know what I'm going through? God, the storm of my life is raging and I don't know what to do. Do you not care about me, Jesus? But let's take our eyes away from the disciples for a moment. Because this series isn't about them. It's about Jesus. And let's look at Jesus. And you know what? We see when we look at Jesus, we see confidence. And I think Jesus' response to the storm raging all around him is really the response that, that you and I should have to look, or should look to have in the midst of the storms of our own lives. Philippians 4 7 tells us this The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, all circumstances, all the storms in our lives will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What Paul tells us here is that through Christ Jesus, we should be able to, to be at peace or at rest, even in the midst of the most violent storms of life. And this is exactly what we see in Jesus. And what is this example of Jesus, or what this example of Jesus shows us is that it teaches us something about him. It shows us his trust and his confidence in his Father. Jesus had trust, he had confidence in his Father's plan more than any circumstance that he would face. See, for Jesus, the storm wasn't that big of a deal. Because Jesus knew what his father had for him. 
And he knew what his father could do with this storm. See, Jesus wasn't trying to fight back against the storm. Jesus wasn't trying to bail water out of a sinking ship because that's not how this story was going to end. It wasn't going to end through a whole bunch of human effort carrying them through by the skin of their teeth to the other side of the lake. But yet for us, how often are we furiously bailing water out of a sinking ship, getting madder and madder at God and his seeming lack of care when we've just assumed, just made a choice that this must be what I have to do? When, when maybe God had something different for us all along. We just, in our panic, in our dealing with it, never bothered to ask God what he thought, what he wanted, what his plan was. Our confidence isn't in looking to God, it's in ourselves and our ability to handle it. And so his disciples wake him up, angry, screaming, accusing Jesus, don't you care about us? And look what Jesus does in, in verse 39. He said to his disciples, why? Why are you so afraid? What an insulting question. To all of these men who are fighting for their lives, could you imagine? Could you imagine? You're in this kind of situation where, where you, are, you, you are sure you're minutes, moments away from death. And anybody's response, never mind God's, anybody's response is, so what's the big deal? Do you still have no faith? Faith is the confidence of things hoped for. Why don't you have any faith? Why don't you have any confidence in the things that you are hoping for? Why don't you have any confidence in the things you want to see happen? I think Jesus' words are, are really penetrating to my heart and perhaps to yours as well. Because I don't know what you're going through. But I would bet a lot of money that many of us are dealing with storms in our lives right now. And you might even be asking those same kinds of questions the disciples were asking. God, do you even care? Do you even care what I'm dealing with right now? And if that's not you, the unexpected is coming. Sorry. It's not if, it's when. That storm, that squall, it's coming, it's going to hit. And that question that Jesus asked his disciples, that he's asking us today, why are you so afraid? Do you still not trust in my Father and his plan and his purposes for you and for your life? Do you still not have confidence that I can carry you through? You see, what we see in Jesus in this story is hopefully something that he can see in us. That in the midst of any circumstance, in the midst of any squall or storm, we can have an unwavering confidence in our Heavenly Father. That we won't need to, to jump into the boat and just start bailing because what else is there to do? Do you know what else there was for the disciples to do? To turn to Jesus. Because the moment they turned to Jesus, what happened to the storm? 
let's see. Oh, I never wrote the end of the storm. Somewhere I missed it in there. Oh, this is not going to work. Well, verse 39 says, He got up and rebuked the waves and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. Yet again, we see Jesus perform a miracle. He, he stands up in the boat in the middle of the storm. He speaks to the storm, says three words that cease everything. Quiet, be still. Quiet, be still. Because my faith, my confidence is in my Father. And just like that, everything shifts and changes. And his disciples are in awe. Jesus can control the wind and the waves and the seas and the storms of life. So what did the disciples need to do when things got out of control? When, when everything was, was falling apart, what did they need to do? They needed to turn to Jesus. Because all of their freaking out, all of their panicking, all of their losing, losing it, it wasn't going to do what turning to Jesus could. And the minute they turned to Jesus, everything changed. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we confess today that far too often we've been the disciples in the boat. Far too often we have, we have tried to solve these problems on our own. Far too often we've looked and we've done what we know to do while getting mad at you for not doing something. God, far too often I've put myself in between me and you. Far too often I've looked and I've made plans and I've made decisions on what it is that you need to do. You need to get this water out of this boat. God, far too often... I've made myself into an idol for you. God, I pray that we would be able to learn to live from a place of confidence in you, from a place of true trust in you, from a place that when things fall apart, from a place that when things don't go the way we want them to go, that we would learn to actually go to you first that we would learn to trust in you. And God, I pray, as we read in Philippians chapter 4, that peace of God which transcends everything. That peace of God that allowed for you to sleep in the middle of a storm. That peace of God that allowed for when the world was crashing down, for you to be able to just have that peace that rest in the middle of all of it. And God, I pray for each one here today that is going through a storm. God, may we discover peace in the middle of the storm. May we discover your peace. May we discover rest. May as the world is crashing down around us, may we find this little picture of oasis where you've made us to lie down in green pastures, where you've restored our souls, even as things are coming apart at the seams. God, that we have a peace that passes the understanding of our circumstances. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. When I was young, you called my name 
Thanks so much for sharing in this message from Hillside Church. We pray that God was able to speak to you through what was shared. We are so grateful to be able to share God's word with our church community and family, and that includes you. And we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Hillside Airdrie, and you can connect to us through email at info at hillsideairdrie.ca. Or you can go to hillsideairdrie.ca and click on Contact Us from the main menu, or you can find our pastoral team's contact info by clicking on Our Pastors from the Our Church drop-down menu. Our vision for everyone that shares in Hillside Church is that they would know God, know His hope, know His purpose, and know His power in their lives. And we pray that this message ministered to you. At Hillside Church, we're a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. As family we go. You'll never quit on me. You'll always hold my heart. Cause that's the kind of God you are. You gave me freedom from my sin. You told me I could start again. All I heard is dead and gone. Now we're your daughters and your sons. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. We once were lost, but now we're found. Forever you hold us in your arms. Cause that's just the kind of God you are. stepped into the dark cause that's just the kind of God you are